We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Today we're discussing mental health concerns facing the LGBTQ community. Recent suicides and drug overdoses are evidence of a troubling problem, resulting largely from stigma and discrimination faced by this community. It's National Pride Month, and Pride Fest takes place in St. Louis this weekend. We thought this was a good time to talk about the concerns and what can be done about them. Joining me in studio are Steph Perkins, Executive Director of PROMO, Missouri's statewide organization advocating for LGBTQ equality, Curtis Galloway is executive director of One Million Kids for Equality. It works for social change for the LGBTQ community. Emily Klamer is a clinical mental health counselor working with Diversified Health and Wellness. Much of her work centers on the gay transgender community. Thank you all so much for being with us. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Steph, let me begin with you. Uh, the numbers that I've seen getting ready for this program are, are quite staggering. This has to be a huge concern within the LGBTQ community. It is. I mean, the, the numbers of suicide attempts and um, LGBTQ people taking their own lives is something like nine times uh, the rate for trans, for trans people and three times the rate of the national average for uh, LGB people. Uh, and it, it's very much increased by victimization and discrimination uh, that we face every day. What kinds of victimization and discrimination? So we're talking things like um, harassment, verbal abuse, physical abuse, but also discrimination at the workplace. You know, our Missouri laws still don't protect people from being fired from their jobs or or denied housing. And and that takes an extreme toll on mental health. But the situation has to be better today than it was a few years ago. I mean, there has certainly been some societal uh, better understanding of this community. Yes and no. Yes, uh-huh. we've seen in such a significant increase in uh, people's perceptions of LGBTQ uh, family members and individuals and, and overall LGBTQ equality. But in the last couple of years, we have seen uh, a rise in discrimination hmm. and victimization and in violence. Emily, how is all of this reflected in the work that you do? I am encountering more and more individuals who who share that they're their mental health struggles do not stem from their sexual orientation or gender identity on its own, but rather their interactions with people in their lives that uh, reflect homophobic or transphobic attitudes, which when internalized can lead to a tragic sense of alienation um, within one's social life and within a person themselves. Among the numbers that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, one of them I have here is that uh, extremely high rates of depression, Mm -hmm. 40% of the LGBTQ community. Is that square with what you see? Yes, if not more. Wow. Uh, Let's see, 20 to 40% more likely than heterosexual peers to contemplate or attempt suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That indeed holds true in my experience. Curtis, let me turn to you and ask uh, what all of this means to you and to your organization and to you personally. 
I mean, for me personally, it's just I can really uh, sympathize with it. You know, uh, from the standpoint of a conversion therapy survivor, um, I, I understand the feeling of alienation and, you know, just the stigma. Um, growing up in a predominantly conservative area um, in Illinois, you know, uh, the just the ideas surrounding the LGBTQ community and what people thought of the community was um, just astounding to me looking back on it. Um, and I try to take, you know, my experience and reflect it onto the youth that, um, that I engage with and talk with mm -hmm. and um, really understand, you know, what it is that they're facing. And um, I use, you know, I use my platform as a way to make sure that the youth, I, I try to keep the youth from experiencing what I had to go through. When you talk about youth, uh, what, what is the age range that we're discussing? Um, in between uh, 13 to 25, usually, is um, around the average age range. There. And what exactly does your organization do? So we advocate for the rights of LGBTQ youth, as mm. well as uh, raising up their voices through social media platforms and storytelling. Um, we believe that the greatest amount of social change can be created with uh, public speaking and sharing of stories. Um, you know, changing hearts and minds through personal testimony. Steph, I'll come back to you and ask the same question with regard to Promo. Uh, not everybody knows exactly what uh, Promo does, although you've been around for a while. We have. We've been around more than 30 years. Yeah. And everything that we do from community education to trainings to public speaking, all is with the uh, ultimate goal of equal protection under the law. Mm -hmm. So passing bills like the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, protecting LGBTQ people from discrimination in employment and housing. And this past year, uh, this this is the first legislative session, we have helped to introduce the Youth Mental Health Preservation Act, which would be a statewide ban on conversion therapy by licensed medical professionals on minors. This seems to be something that is is building. I know uh, Alderwoman uh, Ingracia is, is talking about legislation of this type Perhaps it will be introduced tomorrow, from my understanding, uh, within the city of St. Louis, as you indicate the Missouri. How about Illinois? Do we have a sense of what's going on there? Illinois passed a statewide ban on conversion therapy, and actually Curtis was really uh, instrumental in getting that passed there. Yeah. Um, and Emily, what about you and this whole idea of conversion therapy? I mean, a, a lot of people's minds are boggled, I think, by even the notion of this. Right. Conversion therapy is kind of a contradiction in terms. Um, in therapy, one is supposed to arrive and a therapist provides a safe container in which one can unpack their suffering and process it and hopefully integrate that into their sense of self. Um, and through this safe container, um, we, we help provide an antidote to the alienation that somebody may be feeling. And what does being subjected to that or going through that do psychologically? I'm sure you deal uh, on any number of occasions with that. Well, with conversion therapy, it's been shown that people who um, are forced to engage with conversion therapy experience higher rates of suicidality, depression, anxiety, rifts with their family members, and so on. Curtis, I'll come back to you, having gone, gone through this process. Perhaps uh, I should have asked this question first to define exactly what conversion therapy is. I, I think it's obvious from the name, but some people might not know. Right. Well, uh, there's not really one set definition for conversion therapy, um, just because it varies from case to case. Um, for me, mine was just talk therapy. So I went in um, to my counselor's office, um, and I would talk with him. A school counselor? No, this was a, a private counselor. Huh. Um, he worked out of his home. 
Um, and so uh, I would go in and talk with him. Um, but it wasn't an open container or a closed container where I could unpack my feelings. It was more of um, him digging into me as a person and sexuality and pointing out my flaws and what I need to correct, rather. Um, and that's not the case for every single uh, conversion therapy case. Um, you know, I've talked to people that have had um, electroshock therapy, um, people that, you know, are that went through it about the same time that I did uh, just, uh, you know, eight years ago. Um, and, you know, you hear about those camps, conversion therapy camps. Um, so it just it just very, it, it's really um, there's no defined way to do it um, because it's not and it's not a science. It's not you know, anything that's accredited. Who is the counselor then? If they're, if it's not a science, uh, who are these people? Well, it depends. And that's where it gets really um, uh, difficult uh, because sometimes it's a licensed counselor um, who has their licensure, um, whatever, whatever they happen to have it in. Um, and sometimes it's just faith leaders, people of faith. Um, and that's where it gets difficult. Um, because they're not they're not licensed by a state to provide psychiatric care or any sort of therapy, but they're using the um, the guise of religious freedom to engage in these processes. Feel free at any time if I ask a question you don't want to answer to say I'd rather not answer that question. But if if you would tell me the kinds of things that they would say to you, I mean they're basically saying we can cure you yes. of being gay. Correct. Yes. Um, so that was one of the main points uh, was that I could change my sexuality through faith and through God um, and that I wasn't the man that God intended me to be. Um, there were different things that they would have me do um, that really didn't make sense to me and still don't really. Um, one of them was uh, engage more masculine characteristic activities um, that could be um, taking charge and being wholly powerful, which Still not quite sure what exactly that's supposed to mean. It's like mumbo jumbo is yeah, what it sounds like. A lot of it was. And, you know, there were some good suggestions in there, like exercise and eat healthy, which, I mean, okay, yeah. Um, but there were other things in there, like, um, you know, studying women to figure out the types of women that I'm attracted to and what what characteristics of women will complement my characteristics. And, um, you know, just really breaking me down and telling me, you know, you're not right. And we're going to repair you and fix you and make you a, um, a masculine man that you're supposed to be. When did it end and why? Um, it ended just four months after I started going. Um, and it ended um, because my parents saw that it wasn't helping. Um, they were not um, seeing any improvement, and they saw that it was actually making my relationship with them worse and that I was receding more into myself and becoming – my mental health was um, declining. Um, and also the financial sector of it, the, you know, this counselor was charging us, I think it was $80 an hour, and we were going for two hours a week. Mm. Um, so it really became a financial burden as well. Um, Psychologically, uh, how did you come out of it? Um, I was pretty, um, I mean, I was pretty messed up. Um, you know, I was always really close to my parents, um, but the, the counselor, his main point was that my parents needed to put pressure on me to change and that they needed to do whatever was necessary to get me to change, whether that be pull me out of school or um, isolate me from friends, keep me from being on any social media, watching TV, anything. 
um, and really, you know, apply pressure to me. And that really tore me and my family apart. Mm. Um, so, you know, I really receded into myself and really lost a sense of who I was. And that was the whole idea. But then leaving it, I didn't have a sense of who I was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a part of me that understood that I could not change. Um, but then there was this dichotomy that happened where I wasn't sure if I could or could not. What, what is your relationship like with your parents now? So they actually, um, they actually realized what happened was wrong and very, very bad. Um, and they realized that I suffered immensely. Um, and they did too, um, to their own credit. Um, but my relationship is much better with them now. Um, you know, there's always going to be that uh, hurt in the back of my mind, always. It's almost like a PTSD of, of sorts um, where um, I'm always going to have a little bit of anger no matter how much I try not mm -hmm. to and how much I forgive them and recognize that, the, you know, they realize what they did. It'll always be there. And you say this was eight years ago? Yes. Um, it was in 2010. And it's uh, and it's still with you now. Yes, mm -hmm. but you you seem like you're very much together to me. I I hope that that's receding very very quickly. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, I was very lucky in that I was able to move past it and really work through my problems. Um, I have a very good friend who helped me with most of it, and you know, working to ban conversion therapy in Illinois and uh, sharing my personal testimony was really um, really helped a lot. Did you ever contemplate suicide? I didn't. Really, I, I mean, there were a couple of moments where I um, thought about it, but it, nothing, nothing to the point where it was where I was scared that I was going to do it. Um, and I consider myself lucky that um, I never reached that point. Well, well, we'll end this part of the conversation right now and get back to the other <laughs> guests. It's a, it's a fascinating story you tell, and, and I hope people are listening and, and understanding and trying to figure out what's what's going on. Mm -hmm. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. If you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you would prefer to send us a tweet, do so at STL on air. Back in a moment, this is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Steph Perkins, Curtis Galloway, and Emily Klamer. Steph, let me come back to you. Um, I'd like to get you to react to what you just heard and how typical is, is this, the story that you just told from Curtis, and where do we go from here with this conversion therapy and the other issues we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, we hear anecdotally from people all across the state that they have experienced conversion therapy, that they are experiencing conversion therapy, or that they fear that their parents are going to place them in conversion therapy. And there's a, a really great study um, out of the Williams Institute at UCLA that tried to track how many people have or will experience conversion therapy. And their numbers estimate that uh, 20,000 LGBT youth uh, between the ages of 13 and 17 will be put into conversion therapy at some point in their life by a licensed medical professional. And those numbers are uh, much more significant when you also include religious leaders. 
I've seen numbers as high as 700,000 people who have gone through this therapy. Yeah, that's the numbers of people who have gone through it. The yeah. 20,000 is the the additional that will at some point in their, their life in the, the coming years. And so, but yeah, 700,000 people um, have experienced conversion therapy uh, in, the, in the past, yeah. Emily, is, is the process any different for transgender people as opposed to uh, gays and homosexuals? Well, I think that the issues they face are unique to their situation and the constellation of social identities that they each occupy. But um, as a therapist, my focus has been on identity integration and sorting out what we may have internalized from homophobic or transphobic messages um, being shared with us in everyday life um, that accumulate to form a type of toxic stress that leads us to seek therapy in the first place. Where are these messages coming from? Is this day-to-day contacts that we discussed earlier, or are they subliminal somehow? Both. Um, Every day, an onslaught of both unconscious and conscious discriminatory or derogatory or negative messaging from our family, our friends, our teachers, our clergy. and it's so pervasive as to to make one question one's own sense of sanity when, in fact, there's nothing wrong with you. Can you give me an example or, or two maybe of the kinds of things that are said that are so disturbing? Oh, well, just treating gay marriage, for instance, as not marriage in and of itself. It's always the gay is always used as a qualifier because heterosexuality is still seen as the norm or default mm-hmm. in our society. So any message that could convey a slight as in you are different or you in, are inherently set apart from the rest of the human community. Step, does a Supreme Court decision on that particular issue have it carry any weight at all? I think it does. I mean, it, it creates a better standard than we had before, and and it gives people recourse uh, when at least they they're they're discriminated against legally uh, in terms of marriage benefits. Mm-hmm. And just having those protections changes our culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Curtis, if if you would give me an example of how this has uh, been, been applied in your life, the things that are said that uh, th- that really impact you ne- negatively. You know, uh, it, it's. Just just the idea that, you know, there's something wrong with homosexuality. Um, and, you know, just some of the things I just saw the other day, someone had posted on Facebook that, um, you know, their some person's girlfriend had proposed to the man. And they're like, well, if you keep that up, then, you know, your your kids are going to end up gay or something like that. You know, it's just even jokingly, it's still, you know, a jab and it's still making a joke of something that is, you know, part of who I am and who what's part of so many other people, you know. So I, just every day and, you know, even with the, the marriage equality that doesn't really affect me personally, I'm not married, you know, but all of the people fighting against it, you know, it really just... You know, makes me sit there and go, wow, there really are people that hate me for who I am. And, you know, and there are people that want me to be killed because of who I am, you know, and it really takes a toll on you to know that there that that there's a large quantity of people that feel that way. Steph, what can organizations like Promo do about that? 
I mean, when it comes to conversion therapy, we can pass uh, local and statewide and even federal bans on conversion therapy when it comes to um, you know licensed uh, medical professionals. But I think it's really important to focus on what we can do as a community and how we can take better care of each other. I mean, we show there are some numbers that show that um, each episode of LGBTQ victimization increases the likelihood of um, someone to uh, self-harm by like two and a half times. Mm. So decreasing those in our community, learning better how to take care of each other as one big family, supporting organizations like, uh, like Promo and One Million Kids, but also like Metro Trans Trans Umbrella Group, who provides social and emotional support for transgender adults mm-hmm. so that people have a place to go to be themselves. It's an education process, obviously. Uh, how do you reach out? I mean, people who are of the frame of mind, who look at uh, this whole issue negatively, are not going to be easily swayed. I think we see that nationally today. There are a lot of people who are really dug in on this issue. This helps. You know, uh, coming on your show and being able to talk about this, this helps. Uh, being able to talk at Thanksgiving and at, you know, Christmas dinner and with your own families about your experiences as an LGBTQ person or about your friends or the news, all of that helps. Every conversation helps, especially when it's one-on-one or person-to-person, um, people that we already trust. Mm-hmm. Emily, in general, uh, can you tell me if, if people in this category that we're talking about have difficulty explaining to their parents where they are. Sure. Well, I think that... Because that's where you start. (laughs) Right. start there. Right. And I think that's why people seek therapy, because a lot of these messages do come from their parents. And Curtis's story just drove home how problematic the idea is that something is inherently wrong with LGBT people is... um, is tragic and harmful. And therapy is not just about being heard. It's also about being seen in your full complexity. As a student at the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute, it's been reiterated over and over that people are so infinitely more complex than we could ever give them credit for. Mm. And I think that support groups are really crucial. I'm actually in the process of forming um, counseling groups for transgender and LGBT people um, through my work at Diversified Health and Wellness. Mm. Is it worse, do you think, for people who are still closeted as opposed to those who have come out? I think that if one does come out, there's the benefit of hopefully a community that will welcome you with open arms. And I think that staying in the closet takes an enormous psychic toll. What do you think, Steph? I think absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things we see in discrimination cases is the the sheer effort and um, toll it takes on your mental health to not be out at work, to not be out in your at your family for fear of losing your job or losing your home. Mm-hmm. Curtis, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, when I when I was in the closet, it was it was just excruciating. Um, I was always you know, scared that my family would find out. I was always scared because I, I had told my friends first um, and I was just, you know, worried that they would think less of me. And then even after I came out to my family, um, I wasn't out to my extended family. And it was always a matter of trying to play it straight. And it was just exhausting. Um, and just the added fear of what of thinking to myself and wondering if they know and what they're thinking about me just unnecessarily. Yeah. I'd like to bring one of our listeners into the conversation. James is calling from St. Louis. He's been very patiently waiting, but uh, let's get him in. James, you're on the air. Go ahead. 
Hi, my name is, uh, yeah, as you said, is James. And I would just like to say that for me, I'm glad that this conversation is being held because um, I, as a, a trans man, understand what it is to grow up and, and be isolated and alienated. I'm 55 years old, and it took me until I was 48 to talk about the feelings of having this female body and disliking it. But but more than that, how very much uh, it seems to be okay in the social community to 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 literally torture physically, sexually, and whatever else, torture people because they don't project an image that the society is comfortable with. I know for me, I didn't do the suicide route, but now I'm dying because of all of those negative messages have internalized, and now I can't eat. And so I want to say to the community at large, let's just love children and let them figure it out. That's all I have to say. James, thanks very much. Steph, you want to come in on, on James's comments? Pretty good message he wants to spread there. Yeah, I mean, I think we we need to love everybody, right? And uh, what James said about it being internalized, so many people in our community feel like they are not enough. And in the last week and a half, we've lost two people in our community, one to suicide and one to substance abuse. And it's painful for all of us. And it's a reminder of how enough we are and how we need to remind each other that we are loved and okay and enough just exactly as we are. Do you want to have a thought on that, Emily? Absolutely. And I wanted to offer a litmus test for people who identify as LGBT and may be in therapy that if you don't feel held in unconditional positive regard, or if you don't feel fully seen by your therapist or that they're judging you or are trying to change you, um, you deserve better. Curtis? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I, you know, even as a leader in my community, I, there are things that I've internalized, and there are times where I feel just down about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it it's just one of those things that really wears down on you. So I, I definitely uh, feel that way. Who do you associate with? Do you find yourself primarily associating with people who are gay, or do you move into the heterosexual community for friendships? Does that work? Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I I have a lot of LGBTQ friends, more more so than heterosexual friends. Um, uh, but I mean, I'm a social butterfly, so I can make friends with just about anybody. You know, I currently have a roommate who is heterosexual, and so <laughs> yeah. Steph, how do you feel about that? Is that something you recommend? And you know, as we get to know each other, the prejudices oftentimes go away once we get to know someone. What What's your advice on that? I think that people should just be friends with the people who compliment them. And you know, like you said, it, everybody is so incredibly complex. And uh, you know, I think we're seeing this more and more with young people who uh, respect each other's differences and want to be friends with the people who they want to be friends with. You know, the majority of my friend group are made up of of non LGBTQ people, straight uh, cisgender uh, people. And um, it's because those are the the people I've found myself in my life with, and and I I want to continue that. But I also love all the new people in my life too. So yes, you should just be friends with the people who 
who make your life better. Uh, Emily, Steph just really hit on something there with regard to uh, y- the younger generation being more accepting of people who are, quote, different, if I can put it that way. Uh, that is a market impression that I have. Older people are much slower to uh, be accepting. Absolutely. Uh, what gives me hope for the future is witnessing younger generations coming up and embracing sexual fluidity and gender diversity. Um, it is now more normal to be out in high school, I think, as compared to when I was in high school in the early aughts. And, and finding your community, finding your people is absolutely crucial. I want to just uh, let our audience know to grab a pencil. Uh, We have some telephone numbers I'll give you. We'll also put them online later. But if you or someone you know is considering suicide, we have a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number for you. I'll give you that in a few minutes when we'll have time to get a pencil or a text number you can call. This is very important. Uh, People are listening here are having the kinds of thoughts that we've been discussing. Uh, You can get some help in in this area. Well, this is, uh, this is uh, Pride Month, and Pride Fest is coming up this weekend. What kind of a difference, I'll start with you, Steph, what kind of a difference does this make, or could this make, or will it make? I think you just, at being at Pride Fest or even seeing pictures, you see how diverse and vibrant and happy and full and big our community is. It's a chance to be around you know, hundreds of thousands of other people who are like you and who love you. And it's a perfect reminder of how enough and love and perfect you are just as you are. Curtis, what does it mean to you? I mean, that's exactly the same thing. You know, it's just a, a community. Um, when I went through conversion therapy, I had no idea what pride was. I had no idea it existed. Um, and when I found it, it was just this kind of opening of my eyes to, oh my gosh, there's this whole community and it's all wonderful. And look at all these people that are supportive of me, you know? Uh, so to me, it's just community and it's wonderful. (laughs) Emily, it has to be a good thing for people who are part of this community to get together and see the numbers. We're talking hundred thousand plus. That's a lot of people. Right. That visibility is so important to anybody who may be feeling alone and alienated. To see 100,000 people in the streets of St. Louis is a delight and a pleasant surprise to me. But um, seeing the numbers grow year after year, seeing the venues change to accommodate the growing crowd is, is heartening, to say the least. I wonder how, Steph, how our area, our region, stacks up against other parts of the country. Do you have any sense of that? I mean, are we a little ahead, a little behind, or far ahead or far behind? I believe that our St. Louis Pride Parade is the largest in the Midwest. Um, I Somebody should look that up, but I think that that is, and if not the largest, one of the largest in the Midwest. And St. Louis is definitely the largest Pride Fest in the state. What kinds of things is PROMO working on now? It's a statewide organization, and I know you have reach in Jefferson City, but what sort of things are you working on now? Conversion therapy, I guess, is one of them. But what else? Yeah, banning conversion therapy is a huge priority for us over the next few years. But um, number one, always, until we have it, is uh, statewide non-discrimination protections that include sexual orientation and gender identity so that our folks um, have legal recourse if they face discrimination at their jobs, in their homes, and in public accommodations. What sort of uh, reception do you get from Jefferson City legislators? This is a conservative state. It is, but, you know, this is a, a, a... 
This is not a party issue. Uh, LGBTQ people exist in nearly every single family across the state and across the country. So both Republicans and Democrats see this as a, a an important issue for their own family members. This is the only the second time ever that we've passed uh, the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act out of a House committee, and it happened in the last couple of weeks of the last week of session mm-hmm. uh, in a legislative session that was a little different than others. So we're pretty I proud would say of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> what, what specifically would that legislation do? It would simply add sexual orientation and gender identity to the Missouri Human Rights Act, which is our law that um, protects people from discrimination in employment, housing, and public accommodations. And on the national level, is there anything out there that is that is helpful to the cause? You know, there is a bill that uh, that is filed called the Equality Act that would do the same thing for the Civil Rights Act at, at the at the federal level. There are some protections in um, sex discrimination or Title VII, uh, but you know, there's there are very little protections for people. St. Louis as a city has protections, and so we rely a lot on those here. And and Curtis, what about your organization? How active is it uh, politically? Um, so we're we're a five hundred one c three nonprofit, so we don't really have a lot of political. Uh, pull as far as lobbying. Um, but like I said before, you know, our big main focus is storytelling. Um, and I, you know, I really wanted to emphasize that, you know, I find personally for me that sharing your pain and your story with someone does a lot more than having someone write an article about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really opening those conversations and sharing your experience. Um, One-on-one, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. Absolutely. You know, I don't think that um, the conversion therapy ban would have happened in Illinois had we not had people sharing their stories of conversion therapy personally um, from them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're really looking to get more uh, of uh, storytelling going, uh, helping youth share their stories um, with their, uh, you know, with anything that they could be dealing with, uh, specifically around trans issues and conversion therapy. We'll see if uh, Alderwoman Ingracia tomorrow presents her bill on the uh, conversion ban uh, that was scheduled, I believe, but we were not quite sure. Emily, let me come back to you with regard to resources out there. To whom and where can you refer people uh, if they want to continue the conversation or feel they need additional help? Well, certainly if somebody is seeking therapeutic services, I would unabashedly self-promote the Diversified Health and Wellness Center. Um, Also, the Shealy Clinic at the St. Louis Psychoanalytic Institute offers sliding scale therapy um, with gender and queer affirmative therapists. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to get this sort of uh, consideration and help for under 80 bucks an hour? It is certainly possible, yeah. The Shealy Clinic offers sliding scale services. Yeah. And, and Steph, what would you recommend in terms of resources for people who might need them? Um, for young people, I highly recommend places like um, Growing American Youth in both St. Louis and St. Charles. For parents and um, for, for trans kids and parents of trans kids, I recommend Transparent. It's a resource network for uh, parents of trans kids, and they also provide social support for those kids. Uh, PFLAG is an incredible resource, and there are chapters all across the region and area. Uh, Metro Trans Umbrella Group for trans adults. They provide emotional and social support and um, nine current um, support groups. So there really is a difference in approach between a very young person. I guess this would be obvious, but uh, between a very young person and, let's say, a teen or a young adult. Absolutely. In what way? 
in just the way that they're already processing the world, right? And and what support they may have. An adult may or may not have received support from their parents, whereas a child could be receiving support from their parents from a very early age. And that changes the way that, that your transition looks, it changes the way your coming out experiences, changes the way you interact um, with a job or being too young to have a job, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it changes a lot of your perception of the world. Uh, we have to wrap this up in a moment, but Curtis, I'll come back to you and, and really put the same question to everyone. What sort of advice do you have of people who uh, are maybe like you were eight years ago or people who are just kind of wrestling with the decision whether to stay in the closet or come out? What's your advice? Right. Uh, well, I get this. I, I get asked this question a lot, and you know, it's a difficult one to answer um, because there's not one answer for it. Um, my my advice is always, you know, uh, take into consideration your safety. Um, if someone for someone that's in the closet, um, thinking of coming out, take into consideration your safety. Um, you know, it's it's dangerous out there sometimes, and you know, it may not be the best to come out at certain times. I mean, obviously, I want everyone to be out, right? Mm-hmm. But I also don't want anyone yeah. to get hurt. Um, but just you know, know know who you are that you, you know, you are who you think you are and don't let anybody tell you differently. Be proud of who you are and love yourself. And that's the most important thing. And I really wish that, you know, that had been told to me uh, during that time period. So that's always my advice is, you know, love yourself and stay sure with, you know, who you are. Thank you for that, Steph. I think for me, um, my advice is that your journey is your own journey. And uh, you shouldn't let people, you know, push you out when you're not ready. Uh, but when you are ready, know that there is an entire community with open arms ready to love you and uh, and you exactly as, as you are right now. So um, somebody told me that once and it made a huge difference on me figuring out when I was safe and ready to come out uh, as transgender and it made all the difference. So when you are ready, there is an entire community ready to love you. Yeah, Emily? I would say that we each deserve to be seen for the complex human beings that we are. And in seeking a therapist or mental health services, um, if you don't feel like you can bring all of yourself um, to bear in your session with your therapist, then you deserve a therapist who can honor the complexity of, of who you are as a person and embrace the process of unpacking what is making us suffer. I'll give those phone numbers I mentioned in a moment. Well, we just got an email that I'd like to have you address. Uh, Madonna and Crestwood writes that uh, I struggle to provide a clear, concise response to my mostly elderly relatives when I try to explain what transgender means. How do you do that? Uh, quick, very simple. Not everyone's going to agree with this definition, but a very quick, simple definition is a transgender person is someone whose gender and their their gender identity does not match up with the sex they're assigned at birth. A good example is someone who was uh, born or assigned female at birth knew their whole lives uh, that they were not female, that they are male, and many of those people take steps to transition um, to, to become the gender they've always known they are. I hope that is uh, helpful to Madonna. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, uh, Steph Perkins, for being with us. Uh, Steph, of course, with Promo. Uh, Curtis Galloway of the Million Kids for Equality and Emily Klamer, clinical mental health 
counselor. Those numbers for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 for free 24-7 support from the crisis text line. That information will be put on our website as well, in case you didn't have a chance to write it down. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you Thank so you. much. Great, great to have you. Good conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.